This is Geek Gab with your hosts, John, Brian, and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. That's right, Geek Gab for Saturday, October 8, 2016. This is episode 72, Dunteman Mania. And I'm, uh, oh, that's right, I, had an, I was trying to think. All of a sudden, my mind went blank. I had an announcement, a big announcement, an important announcement. And I was ready to give my announcement. It was right on the tip of my tongue. And all of a sudden, my brain said, ah, <laughs> you're not going to give your big, important announcement. Just erased it right off the blackboard in the back of my head. But I have outwitted myself. I have remembered the big announcement. We have finally become so important, so massive. So undeniably awesome and successful that YouTube has given us our own custom URL. That's right. You can now go to YouTube slash GeekDab and get our channel. Every single one of our Awesome, awesome show, soon to number 72, plus a little bit of extra from Fallout 4. So, YouTube slash GeekGab, that is our channel. You can get it live, been testing it all week. Awesome. That is a big announcement. We are finally big enough to get our own custom channel. Now that that's out of the way, I want to ask, John, how was your week? Well, it's been a good week. It's been a slow week. Uh, and this is Dornell's out of town. Uh, so I've been fending for myself. Uh, we're not in an emergency situation yet. I made it this far to the gab. I still have plenty of soda in the fridge, so I think we're going we're gonna to make it, guys. As for your, uh, as for your cool announcement, uh, it's actually great. I already used it. I talked to an old friend a couple of days ago. Um, and uh, I did. I mentioned the podcast as we were talking about various things, various geeky things, and um, and so uh, I just gave him the link: YouTube slash GeekGab. I didn't even have to uh, copy paste, uh, remember anything. It's, it's that easy. I love it. Awesome news. Ryan, how was your week? Oh, took a big chunk out of my novel. I'm now over ninety percent done. With Soul Cycle Book Three, really looking forward to getting that one in the can. Let me tell you. Oh, also, Twitter screwed with my account some more. I can now only uh, post and like tweets. Although I should say I could only post and like tweets before I shut my account down, which I'm doing temporarily. As I, I'd heard other people had success fixing shadow bans by doing that, so we'll see what happens. Uh, they also messed with me for a good six or seven days last week. Um, they imposed a brand new punishment that I'm calling a slowdown ban. It's a really, really bizarre form of punishment that unless you're as suspicious and paranoid as I am, and also as um, methodical and uh, persnickety as I am, you wouldn't notice. Basically, they cause everything to go much, much slower. So clicking on um, a convo to pull up an earlier tweet very, very slowly. Clicking on something to pop up a tweet so you can retweet it very, very slowly. Clicking on something to, um, so you can comment on it very, very slow. Everything on the, slight runs, on the site runs very, very slowly. 
And yeah, so I had to go through. And what did you say? Paranoid, you're playing crazy. Go, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, there's no way to prove that, right? Because you could say easily, oh, hey, well, that's just your internet running slow. Well, that's just, you know, something that's entirely normal. So I did a round of testing on both my phone and my computer, which are on two different networks. My phone is connected through LTE to AT&T. My computer is connected via fiber optic to my ISP. And I connected to two different clients, or three different clients, via a web client from two different browsers on the desktop and via um, the official Twitter client on the phone and two other clients on the phone. And I connected through two different Twitter accounts. So I did thorough testing, QA assurance level testing, just to establish that it is only a problem in the official Twitter clients on both the phone and the desktop, it's not limited to just one or the other, and it's only a problem, or was only a problem, in my main account. It was not a problem in another account. As soon as I switched accounts in the main Twitter client, the speed went back up to normal. It was very, very zippy. As soon as I switched clients with my main account, it was very, very zippy. So that tells me that there's something that they've built into their official client and their web client that they can turn on to cause things to run slowly. I suspect it was originally part of their anti-spam initiative because, of course, one of the things you're going to want to do when somebody is spamming the site is stop them from being able to post quickly, right? Obviously, if someone is spamming the site, you want to make it run slowly for them so they can pump out less spam. And they just tuned it, turned it to nefarious means of slowing down wrong thinkers from using their site to try and convince them to not use their site anymore. I've had several reports from other people who have also received slowdown bans both before and after me, but I did thorough testing to establish that it was just one account in just the official clients. If it was alternate accounts in the same client, it ran zippy. And if it was the same account in alternate clients, it ran zippy. And the same thing happened on multiple networks. So it was definitely a problem with that account, not a problem with the ISP, with the internet well, connection. Well, there it is. That was my uh, fun bit of uh, both Kafkaesque and Orwellian censorship this week. So I know whereof you speak. And speaking of abrupt and jarring transitions in subject, I would like to welcome our guest today, science fiction author and blogger, Jeff Duntman to the show. How are you doing today, Jeff? Real good, welcome. I mean, welcome. <laughs> I was about to say greetings from sunny Arizona. Um, doing just fine here. Looking forward to uh, talking to everybody. Outstanding. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, I, I, I'm hearing what amounts to Twitter death wish on every side. Uh, <laughs> everywhere I go, somebody's talking about Twitter doing something that can only drive people to other places like uh, Andrew Torba's Gab, which I was finally led into uh, about a week ago. 
uh, Daddy Warpig is already there, and uh, it's still beta, but uh, it has a lot of promise. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I've actually been on Gab for. Um, I don't want to say this out loud because there's been a lot of people who've been waiting to get on to Gab, and I'm afraid this is just going to make them mad. I've been on Gab for several, several weeks, but I haven't been actively using it until like two days ago. <laughs> Um, well, I wanted to make sure I understood it before I embarrassed myself, but in truth, it's it's a great deal like Twitter. Yes. Only you get 300 characters. That's the big deal. I don't have to think in 140 character splinters anymore. I can actually say something useful rather than just say, here's a cool link. See, that's interesting. I'm one of the people that finds the uh, 140 character limit pretty interesting for me. I'm, I'm the type of person that likes to be as concise as possible, and so it, I treat it like a mini game where I'm just looking at the box going, I, I, I know I can shave three characters off of this. See, I could live comfortably in 180 characters. I find 140 just a little bit too tight, but on uh, Gab, I end up pitching about 180 uh, once in a while, usually under 100, usually around 140. See, if one image... Like, if they give you one attached image and one link free, that would really help. It's still uh, you beta. Put, really, you can't put images beta. on it yet. Well, I haven't, I haven't tried Gab yet. Again, I'm, I'm very much um, a technological conservative when it comes to change. I'm like, show me, show me that it works. Show me it's proven. Be neither the first nor the last to try something. So when it's out of beta and the waiting list shrinks down to reasonable length, and I'll pop on. Yeah, they're doing good work over there. I, I, I'm quite pleased with uh, what I've seen so far. Yeah, I, I think I think a lot of us who are worried about uh, what was going on with uh, free speech on Twitter were kind of hoping that a, a company would, would rescue it. Like, there's rumors of a lot of companies uh, bidding for Twitter last week. And they all fell through. They all were like, no, it, it's just not worth this much money, uh, which is too bad. you got to think about it this way. Disney paid $4 billion for the Star Wars franchise, right? And so think of how much money Star Wars is going to make them in the next 10 to 20 years. The bidding, the, the current outstanding valuation of Twitter that I saw at one point, uh, or, or one story I read last week, is $20 billion. Twitter is not going to make, for Disney, $20 billion, you know, five times as much as they're going to make from Star Wars. It just isn't. It isn't worth that much money. And somebody else made a claim of $10 billion. Okay, so let's value it at $10 billion. It's still not going to make them twice as much money as Star Wars. It just isn't. Twitter is not worth that much. And dumping $10 billion of Twitter, you might as well be piling it up in a, in a pile, dumping a bunch of gasoline on $10 billion notes and lighting it on fire. Yeah, that's a good point. It's like uh, twi the one Twitter's biggest problem isn't censorship. Uh, that's its biggest problem this week. Its biggest problem overall is it, is it can't really figure out how to make money. And, and so how do you value something that can't make money at billions and billions of dollars? Its uh, business model is waiting for somebody to throw money at it, and that generally doesn't work. It worked once in a while in the 90s, but it isn't working anymore. 
in the meantime, it's it's this cool platform for people to. Uh, does it feel like you're shouting into the wind? I mean, uh, it's been a great resource for for people like us, you know, gamers and sci-fi people. That, you know, it's been a great community building thing, especially during the uh, the to be unnamed events of 2015. Um, the recent unpleasantness. <laughs> oh, and oh, and the unpleasantness that has continued into 2016. Yes. Yeah, it just. Uh, Go ahead. No, you first. I, I, I like Twitter. I like microblogging. I find Twitter very congenial. I like the people I've met on Twitter. Um, but at the same time, it just it, it isn't, even at its height, it isn't worth the money that, that you have to pay to get it. And you'd have to put a great deal of money into resuscitating Twitter because every day that goes on, Twitter's leadership and trust and safety is steadily eroding and destroying value. They are driving major people uh, either voluntarily or mandatorily off the service. Um, who is it? Mark Kern, the lead programmer, the creator of World of Warcraft, said that the reason why a lot of people, and, and you have to understand that every platform has its primary use case. There are the obvious use cases, there's side use cases that don't really drive the vitality of a platform. And the primary use case is not necessarily obvious. The primary use case of MySpace turns out to have been linking up artists musicians together to uh, get together and make uh, records to get together and uh, crash at another artist's house when you're in town on a tour to uh, do a whole bunch of stuff. And that's where their vitality as a platform came and their end as a platform as soon as they changed to be more like Facebook and cut out the features that allowed musicians to and micro labels to connect with their musicians. All of a sudden, that's when MySpace died. It wasn't a losing teenage girls to Facebook that killed MySpace. It was driving off this one specific use case that made their platform vital. All of these other people that were on there used it, and that was great, but it was musicians that drove its vitality. And the people who drive the vitality of Twitter are news organizations, political junkies, and other public relations, current events gladiators. People who have mean or interesting or cutting things to say about current events and kind of argue with each other and everybody else who sits on the sidelines kibitzing, tossing in comments now and then, but generally speaking, just watching them and being entertained by it. Mark Kern claimed, and he said this, that Twitter was PVP social media. Um, and that's exactly... <laughs> I love it. That's exactly what it is. That's where its value as a platform came from. It's PVP social media. And with this trust and safety thing they're doing, they're killing the value in the platform. I've seen it happen before. Um, <clears throat> it's a certain disease in Silicon Valley. I'm not sure what it's called, but uh, uh, death wish comes to mind. These ain't over. So, uh, so what about our guest? What do you think about uh, Twitter? How does it help you? Well, I've used it to promote my books. I've used it to uh, try to create a better brand. I'm in transition right now. I recently retired from technical publishing uh, and editing. Um, 
And I want to get back into science fiction in a big way. I've been published for 42 years, but there's just a lot more money in uh, technical writing than in science fiction. So I've been away a long time and I want to come back. And Twitter looked like a way to get my name in front of a lot of people without a whole lot of screwing around. Um, and it hasn't done too badly. Uh, I confess I haven't used it very aggressively. Um, and I think uh, Brian and uh, Declan Finn have done a very good job using Twitter. Um, and, you know, once we have numbers up in the, you know, the, the low millions on Gab, and I think that's inevitable within a year, uh, Gab will serve the same purpose. I mean, it's a way to help build a brand, and that's really what I need to do right now as a science fiction writer. Exactly. So, so unlike these guys, I'm not familiar with the kind of stuff uh, that you do. So what kind of science fiction and stuff do you write? What do you like to write? Well, I came in through hard science fiction. I've always been a teching nerd and astronomy and space and everything. You know, I was, I was around in the, the more science panic in 1958 uh, after Sputnik and everything. And I've sort of lived it ever since. Um, so I've done hard science fiction. A lot of it is uh, space and technology oriented. Um, but I've also done humor. And my, my newest novel isn't really science fiction at all, but it's, um, uh, it's satire. Uh, I'm uh, shamelessly imitating a number of people, including Keith Laumer and Terry Pratchett. Uh, but humor is, I think, uh, very underserved in the current science fiction world in the industry uh i shopped the novel for several years and everybody said humor doesn't sell and one publisher her uh, well one acquisitions editor said that douglas adams did science fiction humor so well that nobody can beat him it's like nobody can beat him who says that we're out to beat each other you know that's like saying heinlein did hard sf so well that no one else has to matter so uh, it's, it's hard SF, and uh, I like satire. I do send-ups of uh, zombies, global warming, Flintstones, vitamins. Uh, it's all in there somewhere. And, What's the name of your book? Uh, it's called Ten Gentle Opportunities. Uh, it's on uh, Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. Uh, I am working on a, a Dead Trees edition. And uh, I'm not sure how much demand there is for that anymore. I'm still uh, trying to get a sense for that. Uh, From what I, I found is it's probably going to be about 10% of your digital sales. That's about right. Uh, I, uh, my, my first novel, uh, The Cunning Blood, which is Hard SF, was published as a hardcover by a very small press uh, in 2005 and sold about 600 copies over the past 10 years. Um, I sold 600 copies in, I don't know, two months. Um, <laughs> so, really, uh, with this kind of fiction and in this kind of publishing uh, atmosphere, Kindle and Kindle Unlimited are really the way to go. And uh, I'll have, you know, it doesn't take much to put a uh, printed book up on CreateSpace, which is what I'm going to do. And then, uh, now that I'm settled or mostly settled in Phoenix, um, I'm going to start writing again and, and, and in a big way, and I'm going to try and pump it out like Brian does. <laughs> well, you, you gave a perfect example of 
what's well, published author Joe Conrath calls analog thinking. When the acquisitions editor says, oh, <clears throat> excuse me, we can't do this kind of book because it's already been done. And it's that uh, zero-sum game mindset, which traditional publishing is being shown more and more to actually be correct about, that they are running a zero-sum game, meaning that uh, one sale to someone else is a sale they lost. But the interesting thing is with indie, particularly in ebooks, it's out the window when it comes to ebooks because they're effectively a limitless commodity. So what we have is TradPub has become a zero-sum game where a sale going to someone else is a sale lost by you. But with indie, not only is someone buying 10 gentle opportunities not a loss for me, and it's why I support Jeff's writing and I fully intend to read uh, 10 gentle opportunities and uh, promote and review it when I'm done. But yeah, our sales don't cannibalize each other, but they do cannibalize TradPub, who just posted major losses um, some of the big houses as much as 11%. Drops in in sales, in grosses, or in profit? Um, I believe in profits. That's a big hit. That's a heavy yeah. hit. That's not, a, that's not the kind of thing you want on a balance sheet. There's nobody that's going to go to a shareholder or their boss and say, this is a good thing. I mean, that's yeah, the kind um, of thing that that you sit around at a, at a news conference and say, well... Our appeal is becoming more selective. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I can just hear it. Um, yeah, Tours profits were down like 7%. And I'm going to double check this, but I believe that the publisher that lost like 10.7 it was, was Harper Collins or Nick Cole's old publisher who cut him. So that would be delicious. Let's see. Publishers I Weekly. Here's the thing, um, and, and just to let the audience know, um, Jeff has had a momentary technical difficulty because of Google Hangouts, so he's trying to get back in. It'll take him just a second. We should have him back on momentarily. But while he is trying to get back on, I want to say this about traditional publishing. It is the difficulty with very, very large organizations is that you can cover a large number of very bad decisions because all of the responsibility gets diffused away. You have so many people above you, so many people around you, and so many people below you that all of these bad decisions, nobody really notices them, the consequences for them, until it's really too late. Small companies have to be very, very aware of who their customer base is. They have to be very, very aware of what they're trying to do. They have to be very, very aware, and small mistakes kill you. You should have to be very, very careful. But when you're in big companies, you can do whatever you want pretty much because somebody else is always going to be covering your butt. And big companies tend to stick around until all of these, all of the weight of these mistakes suddenly um, cascade together at once and then everything breaks down and the company goes boom all at once and so what we're seeing right now this gradual loss of of um this gradual loss of readership this drop in profits is things reaching at least i'm guessing this is just a guess based on my observation things beginning to reach a cascade point where things are going to start going wronger 
quicker and quicker. That's just a guess. Now, it may, it may actually be a long, slow death. I don't really care. They have gotten away with so much bad stuff. They've driven away their audience to indie publishing for so long or small publishing house like BM Books or even Wordfire Publishing, for example, uh, which is what, Kevin J. Anderson's company? Do I have that right, Brian? You do. By the way, really quick, I found the Publishers Weekly article. Uh, send it to you in the chat. It's actually Pen Penguin Random House. It's down 10.7%. HarperCollins was just shy of breaking even, and they did the best of the big five. So there you go. So all of these mistakes they've been making for so long, and, and a lot of it is just either deliberately ignoring what the audience wants or not bothering to find out what the audience wants um, are beginning to cascade because you, if you don't have income coming in from an audience that loves your books and wants to buy them as a publishing house, you're going to start going broke. That's your business. That's, that's your income. And they're starting to choke on it. You can't hide losses like this forever. You can't hide losses from your publishing business because your magazine business is doing well or because you're owned by an engineering company and your aerospace business is doing really, really well forever. And it's, it's finally beginning to tell. And I, for one, am excited by it, and I hope they go out of business quickly. Um, I'm back, guys. Great. I don't know uh, what happened, but uh, I'm back. <laughs> I, I, believe, I believe we were just in the middle of yeah. wishing for the death of publishers everywhere. Oh, I do that all the time. The, the big five <laughs> publishers in New York, not, not the guys like Wordfire or Bayon Books or, or some of the other micro you know, publishers or small publishing houses necessarily. Well, the, the trouble is, the, uh, I mentioned this to Brian some time back, the big five have forgotten how to sell to independent bookstores. They've had, for the last 15 years, there's been this um, uh, co-evolution between the very big publishers and the three or four largest bookstore chains. And somehow they just don't do what they used to do to sell the small bookstores. So if B&N goes away, uh, there's going to be blood in the streets in New York. Yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of the same signs. I believe you're right. And B&N lost, what, $300 million on their last report? Yeah, I, I was just thinking that. I'm like, wait a minute, isn't Barnes & Noble collapsing? Aren't they on the verge of... Every time I go there, they've filled up another bay with Lego sets instead of books, and uh, no good will come of that. Yeah, but Amazon just opened up its sixth brick-and-mortar store. That's cool. I haven't seen that yet. There's none of them near me. There's like six of them now. Six! Wow. That'll show... They know that'll books. Yeah. Traditional publishing. Six of them. They might open seven someday. But they're they're the probably the worst of the worst. I mean, as far as like evil corporations trying to take over the world, sort of thing. Amazon's among the worst. They're big. They 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 don't turn a profit. They just they just turn all, put all their money back into the business or you know buying things like the Washington Post, etc. Talk about throwing good money after bad. I know. Jeff but Bezos at the same time. At the same time, though, John, I'm going to slightly disagree with you. Because, yes, not Amazon not disagree does... on the show? I'm kidding. What, Go is ahead. this Twitter now? Yeah. <laughs> but, but look, yeah, Amazon does the whole Megacorp 
you know, of an obsidian thing, but they have at the same time, perhaps unwittingly, enabled for the disconvergence of the one art sector that has managed to escape the grasp of the gatekeepers, and that's publishing like me and Jeff do. So as long as they're willing to keep facilitating artists being able to escape from the clutches of the big five, I'm pretty cool as long as you don't mess with us too much. Well, the big, when they start messing with us, then I'm going to look for a little... Yeah, the, go ahead. The, the big risk uh, with Amazon and Kindle is, in fact, their monopsony power. Um, if they start ramping down the amounts of money that they pay uh, for Kindle Unlimited page turns and uh, put additional restrictions on um, regular Kindle sales, uh, they could screw it all up very easily. But they did figure it out. I mean, it, it took a couple of false tries, but I have, to, I have to compliment them on figuring out something that a lot of smart people have been beating their heads against for, for 15 or 20 years, which is ebooks. Uh, I think they have it nailed. And um, if they don't mess with it, uh, they will change the shape of genre publishing generally. It's not just science fiction, it's romances, it's westerns, it's, it's everything. Uh, so, yeah. I'm with I'm, I, until they start screwing me. I'm completely happy with them. <laughs> I I just hate that so much independent publishing is so dependent on one company, especially one company that's proven to be willing to abuse its power politically. I hate that. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm glad that Amazon has made it possible for indie publishing to exist. I really am. At the same time, I hate the fact that they have made it necessary for indie publishing to exist, that they have to be on Amazon. And I would very, very much like there to be a large and thriving competition so that uh, indie publishers could have their own sites uh, or other marketplaces that they could go to that weren't Amazon that they could sell to, to where if Amazon decided to start, um, to start censoring or pulling down books that offended them politically, which they could do at some point in the future, that it would and, not impact indie publishing. And see, and if they do that, though, that is when you will see a competitor rise up, just like we've seen with Twitter and, and Gab. I mean, I think someone would find a market solution if Amazon turned tyrannical and rapacious like that. Well, yeah, but, I mean... You can say that, and that's great, and that's maybe true, but that takes a long time, and it takes a long time to build, um, to build an audience like that, to gain that kind of market share to among just normal people to going to that competitor to where you can build sales as a competitor to survive, and it's very, very difficult, and most businesses like that fail, and so it's not as easy as that, um, as people like that make it sound, they kind of gloss over a lot of difficulties. Yes, they do. And uh, uh, Barnes & Noble, I guess, gave it a reasonable try with Nook. But uh, my sales on Nook of earlier books were uh, trivial. They were probably 5 maybe sometimes 8% of what I was making on Amazon. Uh, what you need is for the very, very large and very, very tech dependent firms like Google or um, 
there's one nobody knows about called Alibaba. It's kind of like the, the Chinese Amazon. Uh, they could do it if they wanted to. They, they have a bigger audience than Amazon, um, especially if they could figure out how to do the translation in an automated way. Uh, there are options out there. Amazon will not always be alone. And you have to, uh, the audience building is the big problem. Uh, they've shown everybody else in the industry how to make the logistics of profitable ebook sales actually work. Um, we are, well, we're, we're actually out of time here, but um, I'm going to give everybody a chance to make a, you know, their final statements before they go. I want to answer one question real quick from the chat. The question is, um, what do I mean when I'm saying Amazon is willing to abuse its power for political purposes? There's a particular book that was published recently that is the platform book for one of the campaigns that is currently running for president. It has, it at one time had garnered a couple thousand uh, one-star reviews, very, very negative reviews, and Amazon deleted, um, I think, a thousand or, or in the high hundreds of reviews while leaving all the five-star reviews in place solely to pump up the reviews, uh, to make the review numbers, to make the you know percentage, the star rating of this particular book. Uh, for one specific presidential candidate look better. And then, of course, um, there was a revolt among Amazon customers, many of whom began leaving five-star reviews that were quite scathing and amusing and witty. Uh, I'm avoiding talking about a specific candidate or the issues because of rule one on the show, which is no politics. Um, but uh, it is it was a clear abuse of their of their policy because they've never done it before for any other candidate and to do it now. And it was just a couple of weeks ago, right in the heat of a presidential campaign to do it politically at this point in time. And it was quite clear it was doing so in an effort to aid the political campaign of this particular candidate was odious. It stunk. And even though this is the first time they've done something directly like that, gaining their own review system as a purchasing site is a very bad sign and is what people are generally referring to as a big sign of, of convergence where a site is more interested in ideology and politics than actually performing their uh, mission. And so that is a very bad sign to me. I really hope it is just an aberration and that it is not a sign of where Amazon is going in the future. Okay, so uh, we are actually out of time. So we're going to give our guest uh, say again, thank you, Jeff, for, for coming on the show. We appreciate you coming on and talking with us. Do you have any any final thoughts about what we've talked about today or, or anything else? You know, I uh, have included a link to your blog in the description to the video. And that'll, of course, for those of you who get this via podcast, you can get that in, uh, get information or get description. That'll be in there too. Is there any... Um, any any uh, particular book that has been recently published that you want to tell people about? Uh, I'm pushing my second novel, uh, Ten General Opportunities. Um, I've had good results, <clears throat> good reviews on The Cunning Blood, so uh, Ten General Opportunities is the one I'm focusing on right now. And The Cunning oh. Blood is awesome. I have read it. Thank All you. right. Thank you very much for coming on. We uh, very much appreciate it. These shows, uh, we keep them short for a very good reason because that way they go fast for uh, for us and they go fast for the audience too. Um, any last thoughts, Brian? 
Yes. I am also going to be pimping my second book. Sold Answer <laughs> Dragon Winner for Best Horror Novel. I'll get it now because book three is rapidly coming down the pipe. And again, a link to purchase Sold Answer is, as always, in the description of the video below. Uh, any last thoughts, John? Uh, I'm afraid I don't have a book, so thanks for coming on. <laughs> You're very welcome. It's been great fun. But you do have pop in the fridge, right? Uh, I'm all set for the weekend, guys. I'll make it through. You all right, folks. <laughs> you, can, you can follow me on Twitter if I start sending emergency tweets. Uh, you can get in touch with me. If you're sending emergency tweets and you're starving, I will call up the nearest Papa John's and have them send over something, okay? Thanks, man. You're a good friend. <laughs> this is Geek Gab, episode 72, Dunton Mania, for uh, Saturday, October 8, 2016. Just a quick reminder, you can catch us on YouTube at our brand new custom URL, YouTube slash Geek Gab. That is YouTube slash Geek Gab. By the way, uh, this URL that I have pimped for 71 episodes of the show, or 70-something episodes of the show, still works, is.gd slash geekgab, that is is.good slash geekgab. So if you heard one of our old shows and that, that URL is burned into your memory and then is a, is a sense of nostalgia, you feel the need to type that into your browser when you think of geekgab, it still works because that's how much we care. We, we want to be backwards compatible on the show here. We don't want to abandon you if, if, if that's the way you're used to, to coming to Geek Gab. We want to support you because we care about you, our listeners. Uh, of course, you can also get us through iTunes. If you want to subscribe to our podcast, it's the same show. And uh, you can download us to any one of your favorite iDevices. Just go to iTunes, do a search for Geek Gab. You can also get us through SoundCloud. Oddly enough, go to SoundCloud, do a search for Geek Gap, and we're available on the Google Play Store. So that's fully one, two, three, four, four places you can listen to Geek Gap. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We are signing off for today, but don't you fret. We will be back.